Hello, welcome to the Doing CX Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, devoted to helping leaders like you intentionally increase brand loyalty and cultivate better relationships by doing customer experience right. Not talking or thinking about it, but really taking action and doing experience management the right way. This show is about guided steps to achieve better human and business outcomes, which has nothing to do with competing on price. This season of shows digs deep into new research and case studies reviewed with highly acclaimed authors and experts. Plus, you'll hear my insights as a practitioner working with various sectors and organizations. Besides business, you'll also hear personal stories and invaluable lessons to fuel your personal growth as we bring our whole self to work. Please share this podcast with others who can benefit and subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com for updates and helpful resources to advance your business and career. If you've listened to my previous episodes, you know that customer experience is important. You already know that personalization is essential for gaining customer loyalty. However, given emerging technology and business transformation happening across all industries, the key question and dilemma is how can you offer personalized services to your customers while also keeping their data safe? To help answer these questions, I'm bringing you a true expert in the field, Greg Kilstrom. Greg is a well-known author of House of the Customer and a leading voice in customer experience. You're going to hear about the captivating concept of building a house for your customers, laying the foundation for an exceptional customer journey, and tactics to balance personalization and data privacy, even when they seem at odds. During this episode, you'll also hear real-world applications and actionable strategies as we go deeper into important topics that you can learn and apply wherever you work. I have a request. Please share this show with others who can benefit and join my newsletter at doingcxright.com for a lot more helpful tips to differentiate your brand with customer experience at the forefront. Now, let's get started. Hello, Greg. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. Oh, same. Feeling is mutual. First of all, I want to go into and tell the audience, who are you? What do you do professionally? Sure, sure. Yeah, so I I, I come from originally a marketing background. I... A lot of people, I guess, get into CX from from marketing. I'm I'm one of those people. So I um, got started um, early days. I got started in at a tech startup and and quickly learned that I liked that intersection of creativity, marketing, technology, all all of the above. And so I, I then started a, a marketing agency. Um, following that, ran it for about 14 years. Sold it now six years ago. Um, so you know, we did a lot of things at that at that agency around uh, personalization. We built enterprise websites and, and other digital experiences. Um, so I got into customer experience really from a marketing and a technology, and um, you know, the, more that that commerce driven focus. And then then got more more into the customer side of things because I, I felt like 
Um, you know, I kept getting hired to do marketing for brands and products that didn't have a great customer experience. And so you can only do so well marketing a product or a brand when you don't have good customer retention and all that. So it just made me curious about customer experience, which then actually led me to be more curious about employee experience because I hmm. got focused on CX and, and realized, well, yeah, if you don't have happy employees, then you're not going to have long-term customers either. So long, long story short, you know, I after selling the agency, I, I started doing consulting. And, and right now, I, I work primarily for Fortune 1000 companies, usually on things at that intersection of marketing, CX, and operations, and always with a technology bent. And written a few books, have a podcast, and, and, and everything as well. So we share that in common. I came from marketing, and I fell into CX, and I never left it. So we uh, definitely have a common thought process here. Let's go into a couple questions. Uh, but before I do, I want to actually ask you a fun fact about you. What's something most people might not know? Um, I took 12 years of piano. Um, so mm-hmm. at, at one point, I thought I was going to major in music and be a classical pianist. So um, didn't do so hot when I started trying to compete. But um, you know, all, all's well that ends well. I, I still enjoy music. Mm, that is a great fact. I um and played the piano myself when I was younger, but did not take it as far as you did. So um, <laughs> we definitely have uh, some similarities here. So let's go into your book. And before we get into the specifics, I want to ask you, this is the Doing CX Right show. So what does Doing CX Right mean to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think everyone's agreed on the premise that CX is important and we should treat our customers well. And, you know, I I think if we're having that conversation, that's such a basic conversation. That's like five, 10 years ago, maybe. I mean, for those in the CX profession, I know they've been talking about it for decades, but, you know, for those of us a little newer to this, you know, that's five, 10 years ago. I, I think what CX, doing CX well now means doing it in a sustainable way. That includes not only, again, having a good strategy and, and having the, the foundations in place, but also doing things like involving employees from, you know, from the top down, bottom up, however you want to look at it, involving employees in the process of not only doing it right from the beginning, but continuously improving it as well. In, in addition to some of the other things, I'm also a huge proponent of agile, um, you know, agile principles and, and processes and things that, that flow from that. And that's taught me, you know, the value of continuous improvement too, because as good as we can create a strategy and, and all those things on day one, um, the world changes and it changes quickly and c- customer expectations continually uh, increase and, uh, as well. And so we need a plan that's sustainable. We need a plan that involves everybody, again, top down, bottom up. And to me, that's what, that's what doing it well means. Mm. Now, what does all of this have to do with the house that you've built, the house of the customer? Yeah, you know, so I, I've I've written a few books um, so far, and um, I've written some uh, talking more about agile principles and, and applying them to various aspects of, of branding and, and marketing and things. This book, House of the Customer, it really comes from working with some very large companies on some pretty complex 
again, marketing, CX, technology, operations, all, all these issues kind of lumped together. But in a large enterprise, those are teams that they might as well be on different planets sometimes. They're so siloed and data and platforms and people and processes, all these things are, are so disconnected at some points. And so, you know, in working with some large organizations, I thought, okay, there are some aspects that they're doing really, really well, but there's there's plenty others that need some improvement. Or there's some that some teams are doing really well, but other teams aren't doing well uh, as well. And so what I what I tried to do was break it down into component parts. And, and there's a bunch of pieces of this house, but using the metaphor of a house, so you know, there's a roof and walls and pillars and, and foundation and and naming these things. Um, I, People within organizations can look at this and say, you know what, like the roof is the processes and the systems of, of the house. And maybe we do that really well. Maybe we're a very like operational focused and project management oriented organization. So you know what, we don't need to focus there, but we need to understand our customers better. And so, you know, by by dividing these and teasing these things apart, um, we're able to to focus on those areas that that need the most improvement, and um, mm-hmm. you know it it's also a way of it includes everything. You know, it includes business goals and business outcomes. It includes customer needs, and it includes employee needs and, and culture. And so, lumping all that together, it it it's not easy. It's it's not simple. But you know, I I found using this house metaphor is something that we can all all for the most part relate to. Well, we, before we enter some of the rooms of the house, there's one thing you mentioned earlier about personalization and privacy. Uh, those two P words <laughs> are so prominent. Another P word. <laughs> Talk to us about Privacy, we know that there's a lot of concern and worry with technology these days. How do you, what's your view on that? What do you say to people who are scared about the technology, but yet we know we need to embrace it and we use it also to personalize? Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, I've I've been involved, um, you know, since early days of, you know, Europe's a little ahead of us with some of the regulations on on consumer data privacy. So GDPR, those of you that work with multinationals, certainly familiar with that already. You know, so I, I was involved with some of the customers I was working with in the early days of that, where it was really the wild. But it it reminds me now the the AI regulations were sort of in that sort of nebulous gray area there. Consumer data privacy is still, though, not well-defined. And if you work globally, it's different everywhere. It's even different um, within different states within the United States. And so, you know, the, the approach here is um, there. there's a few philosophies to take and, and different organizations that I've worked with have taken different philosophies. One is lowest common denominator. If Europe is has the most stringent requirements, Let's design our privacy standards for Europe and then, you know, California and other places in the US and, and elsewhere in the world. They're no more strict than Europe. So, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's a, it's kind of a catch-all. There's other ones that are more federated. And, you know, we we look at this approach of let's get, let's use as much data as we can for the place at hand. So, you know, the United States would is a little more lax than than Europe. So maybe we can do a little more personalization there. 
all that to say, you know, that that's kind of the technical parts, uh, you know, technical also being legal and, and stuff. But at the end of the day, customers, we know from seeing stats, I mean, there's there's a million stats out there. Customers value personalized content offers experiences um, when we provide that to them. Um, they're turned off when they don't receive those and they go elsewhere to get more personalized experiences. What brands need to do is make it very clear that when you give me a piece of information, I'm going to use it. I'm going to be a good steward of that data for sure. But like I, they're going to use it um, in a way that is meaningful. They're not just going to ask for random facts about you and then just store that in a data lake somewhere. And why did I? Why did you know? There, it's a food company. Why are they asking me about what kind of mountains I like to ski on? You know, it's it's sort of like make sure that what you're asking and the data that you're collecting is relevant to the offers and and content that you're going to provide. And then customers are, for the most part, going to be willing to provide that. Mm. So in other words, full transparency by the brands. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you're asking for a lot from customers, I mean, they, our data is is the most valuable thing that we can give a brand these days. And customers more and more know that. And and so... Mm. And, and yet they're not... I, I'm not averse to you know telling... A hotel company that I what that I like to stay on floors that are higher to the sky than the ground, because they use that information to give me a room that I enjoy staying in more than more than others. You know, so that's. But again, asking a completely irrelevant question and just having that about me, like that's just kind of not only weird, but it doesn't make me feel a lot of trust for that brand if they're asking me a lot of a lot of stuff that. Well, who are they selling my information to that's going to find that useful? And do I want them to have that information? You know, that's maybe a worst case scenario, but you know what I mean? It's like let's yeah. let's let's tie the the information that we're requesting from people to a real valuable thing that a, the brand can can then offer their customers. Mm, it's definitely a balance it, 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 because we know we need personalization, but we know that that personalization requires data. And so that's, I think, the delicate dance that companies are facing. Yeah. What is your personal view, because we're all guessing right now, in terms of the technology, avatars, and voice cloning? I mean, that's a marketer's dream, but a consumer uh, nightmare? I'm not sure. <laughs> what What's your view? Yeah, um... So I mean, I guess there's there's a few a few things here. I mean, one, I'm generally I'm an optimist about all of this stuff, and you know, I've, I've been doing this for a few years, and um, I remember the early days of Photoshop, where you know, oh my god, like the, now we can Photoshop people into whatever backgrounds, and how can we ever tell mm. that something is Photoshopped? And now. I would say most people can tell when a photo is faked. And you know, there's there's deep fakes and there's deeper fakes and and all those kinds of things. And so, you know, AI and, and things are helping us get better. But, you know, so from a from a fraud perspective and everything like that, I think humanity will catch up to the to the fraud. You know, it's like it's like the constant dance of like cybersecurity. It's like, you know, they cybersecurity catches up and then hackers get a little smarter and and it's it's this dance that will never end, and you know I th I think that part is, you know, it, it's going to continue, and and I think we'll we'll get smarter. I you know I think the other part of that is just the 
even when it's not done for you know fraudulent or nefarious purposes, the lack of humanity in communications, and you know because you can mimic a human voice or because you can use generative AI to have a chat chat response or things like that, is it the right response? And and sometimes I again I'm a huge proponent of of AI when used well, but you got to know when you've got to be transparent about its use, you know, because I don't like chatting with AI if I don't know that it's AI. If, if I know that, then, you know, I, I take it as it comes and, you know, it's, it, it, you know it, it's, it's either a good experience or a bad experience, but at least I know what's happening and the brand's being transparent. But, you know, I, I think that comes into brand transparency too. It's just like, um, the technology is available. It's getting better all the time. It will be better. But, you know, when is a person the right <laughs> application to use? And when is a non-person the right application to use? I, I think brands are still trying to figure it out. And I don't blame them because a lot of this stuff is pretty new. Well, given your f- high focus on personalization and that being so important, with also the mindfulness of privacy, what brands do you see doing it really well uh, or that fueled part of your book in the house of customer, what comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, without naming to, without getting too specific here, I mean, you know, I think what I know and the brands that I'm loyal to use the combination of real people and and automated stuff. I mean, uh, you know, a Fortune 100 company cannot reach out one to one to every customer that that uses their product and therefore they've got to automate things. I, again, I think it's it's in the the application of automation versus using real people when uh, when needed. And you know, so a bank that I'm loyal to um, does a lot of automated messaging, but when I need them and when I have a question, I've been an early adopter of some of their products and and things like that and given them feedback. I know that there are real people reading my feedback because I've actually seen features that I've recommended implemented into their their products. And so I think it's again the right application of, of personalization and you know when it doesn't really matter that I talk with a human, go ahead, you know, send me automated messages and you know and and do all of that as long as it's relevant to me. I don't, I don't care if it was auto-generated or not. And and so you know I think I think companies that are able to do that, that are able to make images and offers and, and all those things truly relevant to what I'm seeing and you know what other consumers are seeing, that's you know that the statistics that I've seen are are you know it it, it resonates really well. Mm. Well, what can companies do to make people uh, address the fear of privacy for the benefit of personalization? Is it Specific messaging is it? You know what? What can they do? Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I mean, there there is that weird like you know how personal should we personal you know like having a picture of my front door in an advertisement might be a little like a bridge too far as far as personalizing. Like on the one hand, wow, that would be kind of cool to that they would do that, but it's super creepy, and I wouldn't want that. So. Um, you know, it's, so again, how how personal is personal? You know, I I think this comes mm-hmm. down to what's beneficial to the customer. You know, is it beneficial for me to see my front door? No, it's again, it's just weird and creepy. 
Is it beneficial to know that, okay, this offer is relevant to people in the Washington, D.C. metro area where I live? Yes, absolutely. I don't want to see something for Philadelphia or Santa Monica or wherever. Yeah. I want to see things for where I am and, and what I do and, and what I like. And so that's brands. There, there is no playbook, you know, no you know, prescription for this specifically. It's what are your customers going to find beneficial? Constantly be testing and see what they do find beneficial. You know, constantly be looking for that lift that um, that comes from personalization and pay attention to when you do get feedback of like, hey, that's that's too much. You know, and I, I think most most of the brands that I work with, they're going to err on the side of caution, not not pushing the envelope too much. There might be some startups out there and some smaller companies that that can afford to take some risks like that. But, um, you know, again, I, I always... It's like at what data you ask for. It's, you know, what content you provide and what offers you provide need to, need to be unique, but also, you know, beneficial and not just, hey, we have this about you, so we're going to use it. Mm. So it sounds like some common sense doing the basics right. Right, right. And then, and then move from there. I mean, you know, because again... Even sophisticated organizations, they're they're struggling to keep up with the demand to truly personalize, and so don't you don't have to go. I mean, I the the book touches on the concept of one to one omni channel personalization, and for many companies, that's science fiction right now, and that's a you know that's a that that will happen, and we'll we'll all get there at some point, but it's a north star that we should all be striving for it's not a like we got to do this tomorrow if if we're really just you know rubbing two sticks together trying to start a fire right now it's okay let's let's make things better let's you know if we're marketing the same to absolutely everyone right now let's start breaking it into audience segments if we're already using segments let's break it down further let's get to one to one maybe on a single channel or two um, and start there and then learn and then adopt. Because, I mean, you know, in, in many cases, tying five channels together, it sounds nice, but it takes months and sometimes years to get those teams to even work together at a large enough organization. <laughs> it would be better to just learn from a couple channels and then, you know, adopt, adopt that from there. Mm. With your house of customer, there's seven. Right? Is there seven principles uh, to the house? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at high level, what are the seven? And maybe we'll dig deep into one uh, given the time we have left. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I know it's it's a lot to cover. So so yeah, over the the roof over our house is the the processes and systems that you know they they protect us when we don't know what to do. You know, sometimes those those processes help us and and, and guide us and. Um, the walls of the house are on one side. We have the business objectives because those, as much as we want to serve customers and employees, we also need to keep the lights on. And so, you know, we need to make sure we have objectives. And on the other side are the outcomes. So, you know, we need to achieve those business outcomes. The foundation of the house is the the agile customer centric culture. And so, while it's customer centric, it's also built around employees and motivated employees and employees that feel value and purpose in their work. And some of that purpose can come from serving customers and just doing a great job and innovating on behalf of their customers. And then in the middle, we have three pillars, which are um, understanding, serving, and listening to our customers. And so, you know, that is everything from 
the data that we collect that we you know that we talked about already, the data we collect about our customers, how we use that data, how we serve personalized experiences and and other things to customers, and then what do we do when you know with their reactions to that? So how are we listening to those customers and and then it feeds back in this you know continuous and, and virtuous cycle of we get feedback, we improve, and we improve everything. We improve our processes, we improve our culture, and and ideally, you know, business outcomes, and you know how we serve our customers. Mm. And that's how you make a house yeah. last a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're coming to the end, uh, I'd like to dig into uh, some fast questions, which is leadership. What is the best leadership advice you've received or you gave to somebody else? Yeah, I think the the best um, advice I've ever gotten regarding leadership is feed on feedback and you know feedback is a gift. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. um, it's not an insult. It's not a I mean, you know, good constructive feedback, <laughs> you know, is I it took me I would I'll confess way too long to to really and Embrace that, but yeah, once once I did, it's um, it's amazing when people stop giving you feedback. That's when you have problems. That's when people are mm. unengaged and and kind of checked out. Mm, absolutely, and people don't want feedback because they don't want to know the truth sometimes, and that's right. not a reason to not get feedback. <laughs> it's not easy to be a leader, and it's not easy to hear criticisms or even, you know, even mostly positive feedback. But that, you know, that that one or two percent. But you know, it's once I started getting over that, I I became a better leader, and I I did better work. Absolutely. With all the research that you've done, with all the book that books that you've written and talking to people and getting feedback and working with companies, what would you say is a key takeaway if you wanted people to remember one thing, what would that be? Yeah, I think it's that you can start small and and grow and iterate. And, you know, it's, again, Mm -hmm. the the house, it's that concept and seven pieces and all that. It's, it's daunting, right? One-to-one omni-channel personalization. It's really... There's a lot that can be done. There's a lot that should be done over the years ahead. But you can start small. You can embrace a, a culture of experimentation. And there is no such thing as failure if you learn from you know, what you do. So yeah. you know, start small and, and iterate from there. And it all of a sudden, you've done a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And finally, you have a birthday coming up. And my question for you is if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Greg? Um, yeah, I mean, other than the, the leadership advice, um, I would probably, I probably would have learned a little more about business before I started one. But you know, that's, that's, uh, I, I've learned a lot in retrospect and got my MBA and did all, did all that stuff uh, over the years. But, you know, I started a company when I was 24 years old and, um, that was an adventure, um, in and of itself. But, um, but yeah, you know, just, um, I think 
the value of researching and, and learning and, and taking the time to do that, um, it's, I've never found it to be a waste. Even if it was something that I didn't end up pursuing, um, mm. it's just, I've, I've just grown to love learning more and more. And I, I guess I wish I would have taken that more seriously in college and stuff too, but yeah. Yes. Well, all college kids, if any are listening, uh, <laughs> listen up, take the yeah. advice. And also, Greg, it shows your resilience, you know, that you were determined, even if you didn't know, you figured it out. And so I applaud you for that. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. And in the show notes, I'll include your website and your books. And I know people will enjoy listening and getting to know you more. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.